Good morning. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday week. Uh, today, or well, last week we finished a sermon series uh, on the church, and um, next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Advent, and we will begin our new Advent series. And maybe uh, you've never been in a church that observes Advent. And so, what is it? Well, the word Advent just means arrival. And the Advent season is observed during the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the whole purpose of the season, to put it very simply, is about reorienting your life towards Jesus. It's about realigning and situating your life inside of the two most fundamental truths of our existence. That Christ came and Christ will come again. And so even though Advent doesn't start until next week, I wanted to use today to try and prepare us for the Advent season, to get us thinking about Advent things, because we're going to need an on-ramp. Why? Well, because the holiday onslaught is coming, and we live in a mad, mad world that's going to do everything it can to just set the pace of your holiday life at such a breakneck speed that it just all becomes a blur. And you kind of just wake up sometime in January and think, how did I get here? Where did all the time go? And so look, I just want to tell you that this season, Jesus is not going to catch up with you. Jesus isn't going to catch up with you. You have to be willing to slow down. And I want and I hope and I pray that your holidays are different and they don't pass you by. In our passage this morning, we have two completely different situations. There's a woman who's hemorrhaged for 12 long years and you have a young girl, 12 years old, lying on her deathbed. They're totally different situations but they're similar in the span of time that they cover, 12 years. And the fact that Mark made sure to highlight the span of 12 years has just always stood out to me. He didn't have to. It's not like the story reads any differently if he didn't include that part, but he did. 12 years. And that fact has always just been so curious to me. And it's caused a deeper reflection in me just on the nature of life and time and the ways that we look for stability in this unstable world. So let's take a walk for a second and think about time. Twelve years is a long time. And a lot can change in twelve years. Twelve years ago, I hadn't even gone to India yet, and I was just hearing about it for the first time that November. Melissa and I were still newlyweds, no kids. I have no idea what we did with all of our time, and I was a pastoral intern, and I realized a couple of weeks ago, whenever Ricky asked if I would share my testimony with the youth boys, I got to the part when I arrived at this church. And he said, what year was that? And I said, it was 2011. And then he turned his attention to all the boys. And he said, boys, um, how many of you hadn't been born yet? And I was like, Ricky, that's so funny. What a great joke. And then 
some of them raised their hands. And I realized he's not joking because I think evidently that all of our youth kids are 30 and have just been around for a long time. And then, uh, and then I just got up and left. So, but 12 years ago, this church was actually barely 100 people. Every service, we'd all actually push up to where we sat in the front two sections and we closed off the back. And it's even crazier to think that 90% of the people in this, that now call this church home, 90% 12 years ago had never even heard of this church. 25% evidently had not even hardly been born yet. So a lot can change in 12 years. And here we all are. But 12 years is also a long time for nothing to change at all. And for things to stay the exact same. To still have the same marriage problems, the same addictions, the same family brokenness, the same dead-end job, the same barrenness, the same loneliness, the same disappointment, the same empty seat at the holiday dinner table. Twelve years is a long time for nothing to change at all. And time itself is just a really funny thing. Our perception of time is relative to circumstance. It's why 12 years can feel like an instant when you're scrolling through pictures of your kids on your phone. It all just happens so fast. But then on the other hand, if you found out tomorrow that you'd be sick for the next 12 years, that would feel like forever. That's why minutes can feel like hours whenever you're waiting on that phone call from the doctor to give you the test results. And it's why hours can just feel like minutes whenever you're leaving that vacation rental and you feel like you just got there. Our perception of time is relative to circumstance. And even time itself is relative to circumstance. And you might think, how can that be, Zach? Isn't time a constant? No, it's not. Even time itself is relative to circumstance. At the center of our galaxy is Sagittarius A, a black hole 16 million miles in diameter. And right now, if I had the ability to just instantly teleport you to Sagittarius A, and you just did one orbit around its event horizon... And then you'd instantly teleport back here. Only a few hours would have passed for you. But when you returned, you'd find that everyone you ever knew and everyone you ever loved would be dead and gone. They would have lived a full life. Your kids would have grown old and had their own kids who also would have grown old and been dead and buried long ago. And you'd be meeting your great-great-grandkids. Generations would have passed, all the while you only aged a few hours. Time is relative to circumstance. Even time is relative when it's in the presence of the concentrated gravity of a black hole. It's really disorienting whenever we realize and wake up to the fact that the things that we take for certain and constant and stable really are not at all. 
I think in some sense life, the Christian life, could just be this long, slow discovery of how unstable this world truly is. So maybe Mark just wants us to see how fleeting life can be. And feel how small we are living inside of this unpredictable world that we can't control. To make us really ask, what is certain and secure in this life? Is there a stability that exists that's far greater than the unpredictability? So we have this woman who's hemorrhaged for 12 years that were just way too long. And in that same span of time, we have Jairus, who's 12 years with his little girl. We're not nearly long enough. And their experience of time is relative to their circumstance, but they're both looking for the exact same thing. They're looking for something to anchor them, something to bring stability into their life because it's been turned upside down. As we walk with them, this is what we're going to learn. There is a stability that can only be found by faith. Not logic, not reason. There is a stability, true stability, can only be found by faith. And in verse 22, we meet Jairus. Jairus is a ruler of the local synagogue. He's a man of privilege. He's a man of wealth and status, honored and respected in his community. But none of that matters right now. The only adjective to describe Jairus in, that matters in this moment is that he's desperate. His little girl is about to die. She's lying on her deathbed. Jesus gets to town just in time. Jairus had heard about this Jesus and all that he'd done. But the group that Jairus runs with don't like Jesus very much. But all that's relative. Who cares about what others think of him? Who cares about his reputation? What matters for Jairus is if this Jesus can actually do what he'd heard that Jesus could do. So Jesus gets out of the boat and Jairus immediately runs to him. Falls on his face and begs. Jesus to come and just heal his little girl. This is an extraordinary act of humility and deference. So you can imagine the hope that Jairus felt when he heard Jesus say, okay, take me to her. So Jairus would say, okay, let's go, follow me. We don't have much time. And so Jairus and Jesus and the crowds begin to rush through the streets. Then in verse 25, we're introduced to the next character in the story, a woman with an issue of blood. Now you need to see this woman. You need to see this woman. If you see anything in the passage, you have to understand why she's here. You have to see this woman, and you have to let your heart go out to her. And understanding this passage is based on whether or not you can see her. She's hemorrhaged for 12 long years, and we have to see her in all of her suffering. 
She suffered physically because the text uses language that describes her suffering as excruciating. She's in excruciating, chronic pain. She suffered financially. She's gone to every doctor, and every doctor sends her home without answers and with less money. Now she's gone bankrupt trying to heal her hemorrhaging. She suffered spiritually because according to Jewish law, her bleeding made her unclean perpetually, which meant that she couldn't attend worship on the Sabbath. She couldn't go to the temple to make sacrifices. She couldn't even walk through the doors. So perhaps she sat outside on the curb just to try and listen in to try and get as close as she could. Imagine if you had something wrong with you that God commanded you could not walk in here. That's lonely. She couldn't participate in the festivals or the feasts in the Jewish calendar. So perhaps she just stood out in the parking lot just watching from a distance about the life she wished that she could have had Or maybe eventually after 12 years, she just stayed as far away as she could because it was just too painful to be so cut off from the community of her faith. She also suffered socially because anything that she touched became unclean. Her bed was unclean. Her home was unclean. Whatever she touched became unclean because she herself was unclean. And so she never had any visitors come to her door because who's going to come to her home and become unclean themselves? It also means she was never invited into anyone's home because who's going to invite that uncleanness into their house? People took a wide angle as she walked by on the streets. She couldn't hug her grandkids. She just waved from the porch. She learned to live a life of complete untouchability. She was an outcast, an untouchable woman who learned to live in isolation and loneliness for 12 long years, only to have the problem get worse, to feel the life literally bleeding out of her every single day, bankrupt, broken, and all alone in this world. Do you see this woman? You see how hopeless and helpless she has to feel. You see how desperate she is. But then just in time, she sees Jesus. Walking quickly with Jairus and all the crowds following around them. And she'd heard about Jesus too. And all that he'd done throughout the countryside up to that point. And whenever she sees him, she has this moment of just the slightest, simplest faith. She thinks... If I could just touch his garment, then I will be clean. If I could just get close enough to touch his garment, then I will be healed. So she sneaks up through the crowd. She goes to go unnoticed, head down. She pushes her way through. She comes up from behind, and she touches his garment. And when she does, two things happen immediately. First is that she's instantly healed. No pain, no ache, no throb, it's gone. And secondly, Jesus stops dead in his tracks and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? 
It's such an extraordinary moment. The disciples had to be confused. Is this, is this a test, Jesus? Um, everybody touched you? You're Jesus? A mob follows you everywhere? You're surrounded by a, no, a, a mob now? And Jesus says, no, my power went out. Who touched me? And so what does Jesus do? He stops and he looks for her. He stops and he looks for who it was. In the middle of everything going on, he stops to look for her. And he finds her. And she comes to him in fear and trembling, scared to death and terrified. Why? Because she just did something that would have been so incredibly scandalous. She just touched a rabbi in her uncleanness. You get stoned for doing something like that. And I'm sure when the crowd finally saw who it was, they were scandalized and they shooed her away and they yelled at her to get out of here, to go back where she belongs, you unclean woman. Because in her world, the fact that she has this uncleanness was God's judgment upon her. But Jesus gets down on her level. Comes down into the dust, and he comes face to face with her, and he listens to her. He listens to her tell him everything. Through all the sobs, all those years of pain bleeding out in her tears. And he listens to it all, and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in shalom and be healed of your disease. It's hard for us modern folk to imagine how much this would have changed this woman's life. This woman was healed physically and spiritually and socially, and her life was restored to her in the presence of her community. Her dignity was given back to her, and now she can participate once again in the life of God's people. What an extraordinarily beautiful moment this was. Unless you're Jairus. <laughs> what about him? Can you imagine how agonizing this would have been for him? Just put yourself in his shoes for a second. They're moving right along. He's on his way to see his daughter heal, but then he looks back, and Jesus had stopped. He stopped, and then the crowds just close in, and everybody's attention goes to something else, and now he's on the outside looking in. Can you imagine how desperate and urgent and helpless that he had to feel? Jesus, why are you stopping? Don't stop. Don't you know my little girl needs you? She doesn't have much time. We have to go. What are you doing? Why aren't you listening to me? It's probably how you'd feel if your child flatlined in the hospital room, but the doctor stops off at the room next door to check on the person's cough. You would be untethered for your child. So do you see Jairus and how desperate and helpless he had to feel? He's in that difficult space. Where faith is so hard because we realize that Jesus does not share our same sense of urgency. 
And the only thing that we can do is the only thing that Jairus could do is just wait on the Lord. And here in the same span of time for this woman, we see the moment of her most life-changing deliverance, but for Jairus, it became the moment of his most life-changing devastation. Because right as he's standing there watching Jesus talk to this woman, people from his house come up and say, Jairus, your daughter's dead. She's gone. It's all over now. Let's get you home. It's hard to imagine what would go through someone's mind whenever that kind of nightmare becomes a reality. I mean, there is such a brutality to this story. Jairus was so close to having his daughter healed. Just a few blocks away. But now she's dead. I mean, to go from the heights of that initial hope that, yes, just in time, but then to instantly drop to the utter foundations of human despair, your daughter's dead. I imagine there's a part of him that blamed Jesus. Jesus, how could, how could you do this? That miracle was supposed to be for my little girl. Where's her miracle? Did you forget? Did you even care? I'm sure he blamed himself. I could have done more sooner. I could have come to Jesus sooner and asked him to do something, but I was too afraid of what people might think. It's all my fault. I'm sure he felt anger towards this woman who just got in the way. And everything was fine until she came along. Because how difficult is it to see someone else get blessed when you just feel like you were stuck at the bottom of the pit? The most savage of all are the words of his friends. Jairus, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore. There's no need to bother the teacher. It's over now. And they're only confirming that the time for hope is gone. The time has passed. Nothing can be done. Why? Because death for Jairus, for his friends, and for everybody in that crowd was an immovable obstacle. It was a certainty. But then in the midst of all of this, Jairus heard a voice in that crowd. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he looks up, and Jesus' full attention is now on him. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe. And right here in this situation, that statement, it just lies at the heart of some of the hardest moments of your life, whenever you're caught just between seemingly immovable circumstances and an unhurried Savior. It's where his priorities just don't seem to match your prayers. And everything and all the evidence around you seems to just be telling you to give up hope because what you're facing is unchanging. What you're facing is an immovable obstacle. So no need to bother the teacher anymore. 
There's no need to work on your marriage anymore. It just is the way it is. They just are the way they are. So no need to bother the teacher anymore. That relationship, that's never going to be healed. It's never going to be restored. Too much damage has been done. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. Your children have grown up. They don't follow Jesus. They've made their choice. You've had your chance. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. We know this difficult tension between faith and seemingly immovable obstacles. And Jesus says the same thing to you that he would say to Jairus. That's why this story's here. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And yet, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I mean, you see that on Christmas cards. Believe. What does that actually mean? And at some point, you have to think that Jairus heard that and thought, believe in what? Believe in what? My little girl's dead. My little girl is dead. Believe in what? Are you toying with me? You had your chance to do something. Now she's gone, so believe in what? So what is Jesus actually inviting Jairus to do? That's the most important and realest question of this passage because it's the same thing that Jesus is inviting you into. Jesus is inviting Jairus to have the same faith as this woman. That's why we had to see her. And what does her faith look like? Her faith was found when she had nothing left. She had no answers from the doctors. She spent all her money only to have the issue get worse. She had no resources, no relationships to help her face, the immovable hemorrhaging within her. But then Jesus walks by and we discover the only thing that she had left. Faith. She teaches us something so important about faith. That whenever circumstances feel hopeless and impossible and immovable, that that's actually when faith takes on its finest form. Faith in Jesus becomes most real whenever we've lost faith in everything else. But then we see her faith compel her. Despite her circumstances, she gets up and she pursues Jesus. She crawls out of that despair and she moves towards Jesus. She heard of what he'd done. And she simply believed that Jesus had the power to do something. Her faith was willing to take on the risk of disappointment. But then what did her faith find? What did her faith really find? It's the most important part of this story. Because she only came looking for a healing she just wanted to get in and get out, to come up from behind, touch his garments and go, just a quick drive-by healing, and she just goes on her merry way and goes unnoticed. But when she touches his garment, she's immediately healed. But she got a whole lot more than she bargained for. Because Jesus stopped and he looked for her. 
Even in the midst and the urgency of everything going on, he will not move on until he finds her. Why? Well, we know what this woman was after. But this teaches us what Jesus is after. He doesn't come just to dispense his power. He comes to look for his people so that they might meet him face to face. He doesn't want to just heal this woman. He wants her, and he wants her to have him. So he comes down on her level. He stops and he listens to her story. He tends to those wounds in her soul. He restores her dignity in the eyes of her community. He gave her a whole new life, but most importantly, he gave her himself. And one of these days, that healed body is going to break down and she's going to be on her deathbed. But she's going to remember the face that she saw that day. And this woman got a whole lot more than she bargained for because her simple faith just caused her to come looking for a healing. But she met the healer. And that's exactly the kind of faith that Jesus is inviting Jairus into. The simple faith of this woman. Because when Jairus receives the news that his daughter is dead, in that moment, he is no different than this woman. Why? Well, the doctors don't have any answers for him either. And no amount of his money can change anything. He has zero relationships to comfort his soul. He's just as helpless and powerless and poor as this woman. And he too is about to be unclean as he goes to care for the dead body of his daughter. And he's drowning in the depths of despair with his friends, all the while just chirping at him, saying no need to bother the teacher anymore. But just like this woman, Jesus finds Jairus in the crowd. He looks for him, and he finds him in his desperation. And the language literally says that Jesus ignored what everyone else was saying. And he looks at Jairus and he calls out to him, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe. He's saying, Jairus, find me. Right here in this moment, in the midst of all of this, find me. I'm right here. I see you. Do you see me? Let go of everything that you believed that I could do and believe in me. Believe in who I am. I am your stability. He calls Jairus to a faith that can hear beyond the voices surrounding him, that can see beyond circumstance, He was calling Jairus to faith in its finest form. And he was calling Jairus to an extraordinary act of faith. Why? Because in the midst of all of this devastation, Jesus is telling him to believe whenever the circumstances are so much worse than before. Jairus has an opportunity to believe now that Jesus is far more than he ever thought he was. Because for Jairus and all of his friends and everyone in that crowd, death was a constant, an immovable obstacle, 
hard and unforgiving, and so why bother the teacher? But Jairus will learn that that's not true. Because death, even death is relative. Death is relative when it's in the presence of a resurrector. And in this moment, Jairus believed. Why? Because he still invited Jesus into his home. He could have walked away. But he still invited Jesus into his home, even as it says, the crowds laughed and mocked that anything could even be done. But now Jairus is listening to the voice of Jesus. And he's bringing him all the way into that inner room of disappointment and sorrow and grief. And now he's trusting in what Jesus wants to do. Instead of just coming to him with what he wanted him to do. Because somewhere along the way, I think Jairus realized why Jesus operated on his own time. And why he was never in a hurry. It's because Jesus was never going to heal his daughter he was always going to resurrect her. And the resurrector walked in. He knelt down and he took that little lifeless hand and said, Talitha Kumi. Little girl, get up. Jesus doesn't often do what we ask him to do in the timing that we want him to do it or in the ways that we wish. His timing is so remarkably unpredictable. And his ways in our lives are so mysterious. They're as strange as stopping to talk to an old woman while a little girl is dying. And when he doesn't do what we want him to do, we feel forgotten. Of course we do. We feel that struggle of faith because we feel that despair rise up and crush out all hope. And so we think to ourselves, why bother the teacher anymore? But this story calls you to a deeper faith that sees beyond circumstance. It's a faith that trusts that Jesus is more than anything that you are asking him to do. It's a faith that trusts that Jesus himself is more than anything that you think he is. And Advent is about finding stability. Because Advent reminds you of the only thing that's certain in this world, what is truly immovable, unchangeable, and our only hope in life and in death. It's the incarnation of the Son of God who entered this world to find you. He himself is our stability, but he can only be found by faith. And so as we move towards the Advent season, I leave you with a simple question. Did anything in this story sound like Jesus isn't worth slowing down to find? Because everybody in this story got more than they bargained for. This woman came looking for a healing, but she found the healer. Jairus came looking for a healer, and he met the resurrector. So what are you looking for? Maybe if you're willing to slow down, you will discover more than you ever thought possible. 
And when you find him, he will be so much more than you bargained for. For the glory of Christ. But Jesus, we come to you this morning in the midst of the busyness of life, especially in the midst of the holidays as we enter a season that has so many claims on our time and our energy and our focus. But we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to find you in this Advent season as we remember that you entered into this world and we remember that you were coming back to this world. Help us to live as people between those two times, between those two moments that define our very lives and offer us the stability that we are looking for in this chaotic world. Help us to find you, knowing that you are the God that came to look for his people. We ask that as we come to your table this morning, you would feed us and nourish us unto everlasting life. And we ask that it would feed us and nourish us in new desires to find you, to be still, and to seek your face. And we ask that you give us the grace of finding it. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.